0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy.
1: That's what the poster said. See Ryan
0: Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because
1: I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
1: Sign up with MyBookie and use our promo code GATERS to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar bet anything anywhere anytime with my bookie want more gators breakdown join gators breakdown plus starting at three dollars a month get access to unique episodes plus a blog chat room giveaways shout outs and more gators breakdown plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you head to gators breakdown.supportingcast.fm to join gators breakdown plus today gators breakdown because there's never a dull moment in gator nation the gators breakdown podcast is ready to go i'm your host david waters and you can find me on twitter at GatorDave underscore sec here we are monday night edition live on youtube podcast version out there available later joining me for this episode of course is will miles as he does every monday night Find him at his site, readingreaction.com, on YouTube at Read and Reaction. And you can find him on Twitter, at Will Miles, S-E-C. Will, here we are, six games in, halfway through the season. Gators sit at 4-2 after a 42 to nothing victory over Vanderbilt. I've used it, you've used it. Inconsistent man seems about to be the best word. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at it, even Mullen said it today during his press conference, like, you know, you look at the first five drives, three touchdowns, yeah. or two touchdowns and we stopped them and then nothing. And then you come out of the second half and, you know, you look at the first five or six drives, three touchdowns for Florida an interception, a couple of three announced for, for Vanderbilt. All of a sudden you got 35 points in those and then seven the rest of the game. So he's like, you know, we basically outplayed him for a quarter. And the other three, not so much. Yeah, it sounds about right based on the way it felt watching that game. And then you look up at the end of the game and it's 42 to nothing. And I had a Florida state beat writer, um, oh, afterwards yeah. retweet one of my tweets and say, Oh my, it's something along the lines of, Oh my, to be able to take for granted a 42 to nothing win. I'm like, you know, that, that does sort of put things in perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that our goals are bigger than, than just competing, that our goals are, are associated with winning championships and that there are other, st- other schools in the state that do not have those goals right now. And so, uh, you know, for all of the, the warts for this team, all of the inconsistencies for this team, um, could be worse. That's sure. That's for sure.
1: It can be worse. Uh, Going along with that, you got Miami losing their starting quarterback. It comes out today, De'Aaron King will miss the rest of the season as well. So, uh, yeah, Florida State, a little bit of bounce back. Uh, Two straight wins now over Syracuse, North Carolina. Uh, Small arrow trending up, I guess, for those guys. But, you know, uh, Syracuse, yeah, okay, whatever. North Carolina, preseason hype a little bit there. Um, not living up to the expectation, especially now after getting beat by FSU. So, uh, North Carolina floundering a bit, the in-state school down south, Miami losing their starting quarterback. So, look, plenty of time. Those, team, those two teams say they'll have to play each other. Uh, Florida, Florida State at the end of the year as well. But uh, in-state it is Florida with uh, only uh real threat of doing much this year uh, when you compare to three schools. But then uh, look around the SEC as well, Will. And man, what a – what a weekend the SEC. You had the exciting game of um, of Ole Miss and Arkansas, the same time as Florida-Vandy. So you could catch the end of that game after Florida-Vanderbilt went final. And then if you stayed up late, watched it, you got the nightcap of Texas A&M knocking down Alabama at home and kind of shifts the college football world just a little bit more. Number First of all, just the number one team in the country goes down. Second of all, it's Alabama. Their first trip on the road this year in the, that big-time environment was here in in Gainesville at the Swamp, and Florida almost did what Texas A&M was able to do Saturday night versus Alabama.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's, it, it does make you sort of question, right? Is, is Alabama really all that great, or did they just sort of get caught in a situation where they're on the road, obviously they've struggled now in two big time environments on the road, both times, you know, one, once they lose by field goal, once they win by two, obviously we would have liked to have had those things swapped in terms of when they <laughs> lost and when they won. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I, you know, I think most people thought that the experience in the swamp was going to carry over and that they were going to come out and they were going to be yeah. much better against A&M. The reality is in that first half, they were pretty bad uh, yeah. against A&M. And in fact, AM pretty much dominated the first half and then Alabama absolutely dominated the second and came down to, I think, some questionable coaching calls by by Nick Saban, not calling timeouts at the end of the first half, sort of, you know, imitating Dan Mullen from the week before <laughs> against Kentucky. And then, you know, some field goals when they got in the red zone. To pull it to within, you know, to pull it to within what four, and then to pull it to within one, and then finally get the touchdown, the two point conversion to go up seven, and then it, all of a sudden, A and M just flipped the switch. So, and you're missing the one, the, you know, the Red River rivalry was also awesome. Oh man, on Saturday, that a, too. So that, oh man. Te- the, text in the press like, well, box, watching,
1: yeah, I was in the press box watching. You had Alabama, or I keep saying Alabama. Yeah. The Ole Miss Arkansas game right there at noon, and you had that Red River rivalry too. And I was like, that was it's like for what we got the forty-two nothing victory there in the swamp. It was quickly uh, you could all you had to do was flip the channels and have some excitement right after Florida Vanderbilt.
0: Yeah, well, you can tell we were playing Vanderbilt because we're talking about other games that were going on during the Florida game. And we'd have we would have nothing to say about those games if Florida was playing a a formidable Correct. opponent this weekend because we wouldn't have been watching those other games. But uh, now, nah, you know, look you get these you get these games to sort of get healthy to work on things, um, you know, to show what you're about in terms of can you put opponents away or can you not? And I think we learned a lot. And I think some of it is good, and I think some of it is bad, and you know, it's one of those things where I think coming out of that Vanderbilt game, especially the Kentucky game too, but especially coming out of the Vanderbilt game, I think we can reset some of our expectations in terms of what we expect from the team, what we expect from the offense, and quite honestly, what we expect from the defense as well. And so, you know, again, some of that is good, some of that is bad, some of that is sort of, you know. (laughs) <laughs> who knows it's 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 Monday we'll get a different thing from the offense than we will on Tuesday and we'll get a different thing from the offense in the first quarter on Saturday than we will in the third quarter on Saturday and that's just sort of a, the hallmark of this team but you know the other thing is is that if you watch the Kentucky and lSU game or if you watched any of the other games where even even the Alabama, um, even the Alabama game against Texas A&M, there are plenty of mistakes made, plenty of inconsistencies, plenty mm-hmm. of times where you're like, oh, God, I wish that guy had made the made the play. And, you know, even the Auburn game when they were playing Georgia, same yeah. sort of thing. You're sitting there. Harden drops like, there. Well, and you're rooting for Auburn because, you know, we never root for Georgia. And you're sitting there going, God, it must be really frustrating week after week after week to root for Bo Nicks. Like that must just <laughs> really be frustrating. And then you're like, huh. I have Emory Jones. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> At least I don't have to root for Bo Nix. So you know, again, I think I think actually the noon game gave me a little bit of perspective as I watched yeah. these other teams. You know, I watched Virginia Tech against Notre Dame, and I watched those teams with different quarterbacks who could make plays but were incredibly inconsistent. Same thing with their defenses. So I think you do sort of get into get into a tunnel sometimes in the SEC where you see Florida play against these teams you think they should put away and you go, "Ugh, that's inconsistent. Why is it like that? And then you see them play a really good team like an Alabama or a Georgia, and maybe they're not able to necessarily compete with those teams. And you look at that and, you know, sort of the sky is falling, but, you know, you look all the way across the college football landscape. I mean, Michigan barely escapes from Nebraska. Nebraska can't buy a win when they get within a touchdown like Scott Ross just, <laughs> just cannot Adrian, buy one.
1: Uh, Adrian Martinez with another fumble. <laughs> I mean, it's just, come on, uh, dude.
0: <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it, it is what it is, right? Like, it's funny. Just about everybody is inconsistent in college football. That's always well, kind of in the hallmark.
1: Yeah, and you bring up a good point before we go forward. and we'll talk plenty quarterback. But look, look at the last couple of years of college football, you don't have a Joe Burrow out there, you don't have a Mac Jones, you don't have a Kyle Trask. You, you those three quarterbacks that lit up the scoreboard the last two years, you don't, you, you're not, you're not seeing that across college football. I mean, Georgia's the number one team in the country right now, but they're not getting that quarterback play. It's based off of a of an awesome, great, elite defense right now. You know, there there is no Joe Burrow, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask out there right now.
0: Well, there is, but he's in Mississippi. And we, oh, yeah. thanks, okay. we, okay. we thankfully yeah. don't have to play Ole Miss.
1: And it, and it gets overlooked because it is Ole Miss and you know they're not competing for a national championship. I guess that's what I'll say. Teams that can win a national championship, there's not that style of quarterback.
0: Yeah, well, you know, but you did get one loss from Alabama. If you get another one, maybe Ole Miss can sneak in there. I, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah I, I am It's uh, not over. You're right. This season's been crazy enough as it is. So I guess absolutely. I shouldn't shove him away I mean, just yet.
0: You know, we'll see. I mean, all we need is two losses from Georgia and Kentucky and we're right back in it, man. So, um, you know, look, I, I think we all know that most of the goals for Florida are sort of not out in front of them. Right. I mean, they're going to need an awful lot of help to accomplish those goals and they're going to get a lot better to accomplish those goals, too. But you're absolutely correct in that, you know, everybody thinks about Georgia and Alabama as being head and shoulders above everyone else. I think Stetson Bennett's been a lot better this year. Oh, yeah. Especially, yeah. especially when I've been able to watch him, I think he's been better, made better decisions. I think even last year before he got hurt against Florida, I think that did change the dynamic of that game a little bit. At the same time, if you tell me that Georgia's got Stetson Bennett leading them to a national championship or leading them, you know, and that's their, that's their ticket to a national championship, I think before the season I would have taken that, right? I would have taken that in the Florida game, right? If, hey, JT Daniels mm-hmm. is going to be hurt and Florida gets Stetson Bennett in the cocktail party, do you think you have a good shot? I think we would have said we have a pretty good <laughs> shot, and, and that's something that I do think we saw from Florida, even even against Vanderbilt, right? Like Florida at its best, I think can run on and score on anybody, but Florida at its average can't score on Vanderbilt, and and that's sort of the thing is that they've got to be running in top gear the entire time in order to in order to really be that elite kind of team that's going to be able to compete. The question is, can they do that for four quarters? Mullen even said it during his press conference today is that, you know, it's hard to stay that intense, that focus for three and a half hours, you know, but that's one of the reasons why you want all the recruiting, all the depth, all that sort of stuff. So that when someone does sort of let up a little bit on the intensity, hey, we got two guys back here who are just as good. <laughs> We're going to put them in the mm-hmm. game until you get intense again. And, uh, you know, you can sort of rotate those guys in.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So plenty uh, to talk about here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. We'll get into all the quarterback talk from Dan Mullen today um, in his press conference. Uh, Also, take a look at the run game just a little bit. Of course, had that starting. just looking at SEC play. We know what happened in the first couple games, uh, but looking at SEC play, we'll take a look at the run game. Much better, Alabama-Tennessee, not quite as good versus Kentucky and Vanderbilt. We'll take, just take a look at some quick numbers there uh, and you're know, try to piece together some things there. Also, before we wrap it up, a little quick hitter, of course, Elijah Blades now dismissed from the Florida Gator program. So that's what we'll wrap it up there with. There's your outline for this episode. Uh, and If you missed it last week, of course, uh, announcement there, Gators Breakdown, the Gator Collective, teaming up, pairing up here. Of course, you know, it's your chance to commit to Florida Gator student athletes out there, commit to the Gator Collective. Create opportunities for student athletes to earn compensation for their name, image, and likeness. You want to help the Gators on the recruiting trail? This can do that. It can help that in so many ways. Their potential student athletes will see that they'll react and see just what we have going on at the Gator Collective. The link is in the description. There, you you can start helping. Future student athletes, current student athletes there with the Gator Collective. A lot of content out there. Most recent interview there with Ethan White and his mom. uh, Of course, really good content interview there. Shannon Snell leading that one. Uh, Our friend Neil Blackman with Rashad Torrance later on this week as well. So some good stuff out there uh, that you can get from the Gator Collective, as I said. Find the link in the description. You can get the access there. Uh, Will, here we go. Dan Mullen. Meeting with the media here on Monday, let's get into what he says about quarterback Emory Jones. And here he says, you know, the the biggest improvement Emory Jones has made is his comfort within his decision-making on game day, distributing the ball, being comfortable in the pocket, and the speed in which he makes the reads. The biggest area he has grown is his preparation within the game week. He's really taking it to another level each week. When you go through spring and fall camp, you see a lot of similar looks against the same defense week in and week out, and you get comfortable with those things. Once you get into game week, that's when the variations come. So early in the season, he, he um, demo and said Emory thought he was comfortable and that he, and that he felt comfortable uh, and ready to go play the game, but wasn't as comfortable within the variations and what the defenses were. Throwing at him, how they'd affect the offense. You've seen his approach change so far, and he's grown more confident in that change. Uh, said he's uh, will for more of the physical aspect of it. He says he's early on some throws, late on some throws, on time on some throws. Uh, a lot of it comes down to processing everything. He has to go through all the pre-snap coverage reads, post-snap coverage reads, go through his progressions, get the ball out, etc. cetera. The more you do it, the better you get at it through the years. So, well, I brought up, of course. I said it a lot, uh, I believe, in the um, – Gators Breakdown chats, the Twitter Spaces chats in the mornings here on, on this Monday morning. And look, this is Dan Mullen really continuing what he said in the preseason of what you're, what, he, what he saw from Emory Jones as far as the physical attributes. One, one time he'll make a good throw and follow it up with three plays where you're wondering what the heck he's doing, uh, the, the good and the bad. And we're, I, we're seeing more of that. There, there are the, the big plays now versus Vanderbilt. We saw it. Uh, luckily, we saw it. The, the Reeds were there. The throws, eh, sometimes there, sometimes not there. Big plays still happen because the opportunities uh, were taken advantage of. Uh, but there was, was Dan Mullins' kind of summary of how he would assess Emory Jones right now through six games of the skater season.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you go look at him compared to Kyle Trask's first five starts. They're actually pretty close. Um, You know, Trask had a QB rating of 156.5, but he had 15 touchdowns and four interceptions. Jones has a QB rating of 141.7. He's got 10 touchdowns and seven interceptions, obviously two more on the ground. But if you put him at 15 and four touchdown interceptions, just like Trask was, they'd have almost identical QB ratings. Now, The problem is, is that there's a big difference between 15 touchdowns and four interceptions and 10 touchdowns and seven interceptions. And that's been the big thing is that Jones has been really a turnover machine when it comes to when it comes to Florida on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they've they've turned the ball over at least once in every game that they've had thus far. And that's the thing I think that we need to see improve. You know, we can talk about deep shots, we can talk about reads, we can talk about all that stuff. At the end of the day, he's doing something that Trask was never able to do, which is he's got 75 rushes for 478 yards. So he's averaging 6.4 yards per attempt. Yeah, he's averaging a little bit less to the air, 7.3 yards per attempt. But Trask was only at 8.1 through his first five. And, yeah, he did play against Georgia. And he did play against LSU and Auburn. But, you know, I mean, Emory Jones has played against Alabama. Kentucky's a pretty decent team. Tennessee looks like they're better than maybe we gave him credit for. So, you know, a little bit easier competition. Definitely I'm not saying that he's Cal Trask, but I'm saying that when we look at what we evaluated with Trask, I mean, at the time we were in sort of – we were in a desert. Of offense, right? It was like (laughs) we'd gone through the McIlwain and Muschamp years and then you get Felipe Frank starting and the team was really inconsistent with Franks at quarterback. And then when Trask came in, at least it was consistent. At least it seemed like it was consistent over and over and over game to game to game. And I think that's sort of the thing you see. In fact, if you look at his, he had 168 was his QB rate against Tennessee, then 146 against Auburn, 146 against LSU, 148 against South Carolina, 149 against Georgia. So basically he was the same quarterback all four games. Uh, the last four games, and even the Tennessee game. He was 202 for Towson, but, okay, I don't think we can count that, right? (laughs) So if you look at Emory Jones, 95.5 against FAU, 118 against USF, 115 against Alabama, 179 against Tennessee, 133 against Kentucky, and then 218 against Vanderbilt. Again, I think we could throw that one out. So he's been much more up and down for each of these different games. He had a great game against Tennessee. He had a bad game against Kentucky. And for Trask, we didn't see that, right? It was 145 for – Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia. And and I think that's really where the difference comes in is that there's just been more inconsistency game-to-game game with Jones than there was with Trask. But when you look at their overall numbers, I actually think Henry Jones' season first first six games, actually, first six games, in this first six games compared to Trask's first six games, um, I think it compares favorably. In fact, I think you could even say that Jones has been a better player, but the turnovers and the inconsistency make it feel like he's not, and it makes it feel like the offense is constantly sort of sp- – in, in danger of sputtering because that might happen because we just saw it happen in the last game or the last drive or the last quarter.
1: Yeah. Basically the only thing we were hitting Kyle Trask on was holding on to the ball too long and getting hit and fumbling. <laughs> that was the, that was what we were, you know, pointing out with Kyle Trask saying, okay, well, the more reps he gets, and this is exactly what happened, the more reps he gets, he'll get the timing down, he'll take care of the ball better, and that's pretty much exactly what happened uh, with Kyle Trask. So hopefully hopefully, the, all these reps that keep adding up for Emory Jones, you see the kind of same progression there you saw with Kyle Trask. Uh, let's move on to the other quarterback, of course, Kent, not talk quarterbacks and not talk Anthony Richardson here. Uh, Dan Mullen was asked about him as well. And here's what he said about Anthony Richardson is that he's still learning some of those pre-snap post-snap things when he gets out there in the fourth quarter said, it's not a short term process. It's year long process to continue to get comfortable doing all the stuff that we ask him to do. The number of reps, the player needs getting comfortable and doing all that stuff. It's nothing or, you know, it's it's nothing you, you can teach in a day or two is what Dan Mullen said Richardson has done well working through those things as he improves and gets better. It takes a long time to learn. So, Will, here we go. Yeah, Both quarterbacks. And w- w- Would we have love for Emory Jones to come in ready to go game one and, and put up stats galore from, from, from the first game of the season? And I, I know we see young quarterbacks come in all the time in college football and excel right away. But it's not a it's not cookie cutter, especially for Dan Mullen and, and his quarterbacks. I mean, he's going to have his way of doing things and his way of of trusting the way he's done it, and he should. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think uh, Emory, Jones, Emory Jones had a realization, kind of going with Dan Mullen said he had a realization of what it takes to be a starting quarterback at Florida and, and and a quarterback a starting quarterback under Dan Mullen here playing in the SEC. He's shown progress since then. I don't we shouldn't shy away from that. There has been progress from game one to game six here from Emory Jones may not be as fast as we would had wanted it to be. Um, and that can be an argument, especially since he's been around the program for four seasons, but I do think it's kind of clear now why he's the starting quarterback for Florida over Anthony Richardson a little bit. Um, we got excited about what Richardson could bring to the table in those first couple games of this season, but He's not far along, far enough along for Dan Mullen to be ready to throw him out there before he thinks he's really ready. We know Dan Mullen's reputation when it comes to that. He is not going to throw a quarterback out there before he thinks they're ready. Whether you or me or the whole fan base can sit there and think Anthony Richardson, if Dan Mullen doesn't think so, he's not going to throw him out there in, in that starting role, taking a whole lot of snaps out there role. That's just Dan Mullen's MO. We, and we know that. We should not be surprised by that. Uh, and we know that about Dan Mullen for his reputation for quarterback play. And look, I think Anthony Richardson knows that too. He knows Dan Mullen's reputations for quarterbacks, developing quarterbacks. And from everything I can gather from people I can talk to is closer to the program than, than, than I am. Richardson knows that. And he, he accepts that he, he knows where he's at and where he stands and has no issue with where he's at on Florida's pecking order at the quarterback. So look, we still got six games this season. will Both quarterbacks will play a role in this offense moving forward and you'll probably continue to see the good and bad side from both.
0: Yeah. I mean, so there's a lot to unpack there in what you said. I I think, um, clearly, I would, I would hope Emory Jones is ahead of Anthony Richardson when it comes to the preparation. One yeah. of the things that was a little bit disappointing, to be honest with you, for me, at least for the press conference today, was Mullen talking about how the preparation was a surprise to, to Emory yeah. Jones this year. How he had to buckle down after the first couple of games because he didn't realize what kind of preparation was going to be necessary. Well, he just watched a guy who didn't <laughs> start since high school jump in and take the reins and, and clearly Trask had been preparing like the starting quarterback the entire time he was there because the minute he jumped in, there was not even, there wasn't a drop off, but it was the, the offense took a step forward. And so I do think that's a little bit of a, A backhanded compliment, maybe, when you say, oh, yeah, first couple of games, taught him he needs to pay attention and and study film more more studiously during the week.
1: Emory has said that himself, too. So how you're thinking is I've thought that to myself a little bit as well.
0: I'm just sitting there going, you watched the backup quarterback in 2019, and you didn't win the job. Right. Because that guy ostensibly prepared more than you did, because let's be honest, Mullen would have loved to have given the job to Emory Jones if Emory Jones was a better player. But he gave it to Kyle Trask because Trask prepared and and Trask obviously was a really good player and was able to take the reins. Now, with all that said, I think Emory Jones, like you said, has gotten better consistently game after game after game. Um, The thing, though, that I would push back on is the idea that anthony richardson has all this time all this learning that he needs to do and all that sort of stuff i mean here's the deal i went back and i looked at explosive plays florida's got 35 20 plus yard plays emory jones has over 250 touches 18 explosives that could be attributed to him so one explosive every 12.8 plays anthony richardson has 39 total touches eight explosives that can be attributed to him so 4.9 Um, touches for every explosive play and they're giving him 9.8 touches per game. So, you know, yes, he threw an interception in the last game that was bad right? That ball needs to get thrown away or he needs to just run with it or, or whatever. Yes. He had a drive that stalled, but let's be honest, the drive stalled because of an illegal formation on a third and two that he converted on a running play. Right. And then all of a sudden it's third And, and seven. And,
1: and Jacob Copeland did they, uh, the play before not getting the one yard he needed to get. <laughs> well, that <laughs> too.
0: Team. So, so I look at it and I go, okay, he's getting limited opportunities. He didn't get a whole lot of help from his teammates and you know, he didn't bust an 80 yard run. Well, Nobody busts an 80 yard run every time they touch the ball. That's one of the things that made it so impressive that he seemed to have that magical ability to bust an 80 yard play at any point. He's still by far the most explosive player on the team. And even with a, even with a hamstring, it's not a hundred percent. I think he's the most explosive player on the team. And the fact that they're only giving him 10 touches a game, I, I think actually the fact that they're giving him 10 touches a game says something about how explosive he is because otherwise I think they'd bury him on the depth chart if he <laughs> was sort of a carbon copy of Emory Jones. I think they realize that he's special. Yeah. The issue, the issue that I have is is that you know fans who see him overthrow a couple people, miss a read, throw a bad interception, then go, well, AR doesn't look any better than Emory. It's like, well, you're forgetting the first two games where Florida scores maybe 24 points in those games without Anthony Richardson running nuts you know, all over the field. And the reason those games were way out of hand is because AR was the guy who was turning in touchdowns the minute he touched the ball. I don't think he's that good, but I don't think he's as subdued as he's shown the last couple of games. I think it's a matter right. of he just hasn't got enough reps. If you give him 250 reps, I think you're going to get a lot of explosives. I think you get more than the 18 you got from Emory Jones. But I think you'll probably get a bunch of interceptions too. And so the question is if Emery Jones can limit the mistakes that he's making Mm -hmm. through the air, then I think he might be a better option short term. But if he's not going to limit those mistakes, if he's going to throw all those interceptions anyway, why not let the let it fly with the guy who's got higher upside. But again, I think this battle's already been fought and already lost, right? Because the yeah, head coach thinks right. Emory Jones needs to be the starter. But I do think it's worth pointing out. I mean, so 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 Anthony Richardson is responsible for twenty three percent of all of the Gator explosive plays this year. And he's touched the ball 39 <laughs> times.
1: And missed right? two in this two complete games.
0: And missed two complete games. So when you think, when you think the offense feels different when he's in there, you're right. It does because they act, they are much more explosive. And when you think about what was missing in that Kentucky game, the thing that was missing was the big play like the Wandale Robinson pass that, that Mm -hmm. put up seven for Kentucky, like the block field goal that put up another seven for Kentucky. And, you know, if Florida had been able to put up seven or 14 just by nature of having a guy in there who was explosive, it completely changes the complexion of that game. So um Look, we're going to be talking about quarterback until we're blue in the face. This is going to be the best (laughs) off-season topic we have until one of them transfers. Hopefully, uh, you know, I think the only person who thinks Richardson's in danger of transferring transferring is the Orlando Sentinel. Um, Like you said, I think he's pretty happy with where he's at. Um, I think he trusts Dan Mullen. I think Mullen has a track record to get somebody like him to the NFL. Um, But, uh, you know, I look at the statistics and still say – you know, yeah, he hasn't been as explosive the last two games, but part of that is just you haven't gotten him the ball enough and it's unreasonable to – I mean, you know, if you're saying that Emory Jones is is creating an explosive once every 13 times he touches the ball, if you give Anthony Richardson 10 touches and he doesn't have an explosive – is that really an appropriate way to make a judgment on, oh, he looks less explosive? I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, the more touches they give him, the the more they're going to get. And the fact that they've been restricting those means that you don't see that explosiveness from him, not necessarily because of the injury.
1: I know some people want to bring up, and, and Robert brought it up in the chat here. And I, had to, I did have to respond. Some people will bring up, well, Richardson can't handle the SEC competition a little bit. Well, okay. Kentucky, maybe Kentucky's a good team. First game back. Okay. Maybe there's an excuse there i'm sorry vanderbilt might be worse than usf and fau so I, i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna get, throw the whole competition thing in there too much vandy is one of the worst teams in the country uh there when, when we look at that regard and don't get me wrong they did a good job and i think uh as i said i think the help around will you brought it up too the help around richardson wasn't necessarily the best either vandy brought the blitz uh good pressure to him a bit like i said the first interception yeah was bad Those are gonna happen he's a young player uh The very next drive he comes in, Copeland should have converted a second down. You get those procedure penalty will discussed as well. Uh, Yeah, he didn't get a whole lot of help either. I'd still like to see more. Uh, I think we all like to see more. I think there's a place for Richardson on this team, but it is clear. I think we have to input what the coach is going to do here. And as Will said, that is pretty clear what the coach is going to do in his approach to this skater quarterback situation.
0: Well, look, man. Florida's two and two in SEC play, and two of those games, Anthony Richardson didn't start or even really play in at all. So I'm not ready to anoint anybody as ready for SEC play when (laughs) when 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 you're two and two in the conference, right? Because Florida two and two isn't good enough for Florida in this conference. Three and one is still going to have some people ornery, you know. And at the end of the day, all your goals for the season have basically gone away. And I think we both can, you know, I, I think if Anthony Richardson plays in that Alabama, in that Alabama game the way he would played in the first couple of games, or at least was that kind of threat, Florida might pull that game out. I think if he plays in the Kentucky game and they give him more touches in that Kentucky game, I think Florida has a real opportunity to win that one too. Um, you know, you I you the stucky weapons.
1: man after the face mask penalty to Emory Jones that a stucky man and said, all right, you run the ball four straight times. If they stop us, nice, give them credit.
0: <laughs> now you sound like Denny Thompson. But you know, look, I mean, they have struggled so much in the red zone in all of the games where they've lost they've settled for field goals they shouldn't have they haven't been able to convert third and ones not all of that is on emory jones and in fact i think emory jones is actually a pretty good short yardage runner um at the same time like they've struggled enough in the red zone and the pass has not been a big enough threat in the red zone that yeah i think there's there are opportunities you know i always used to think about this with the jets when they brought in tim tebow and and uh And Mark Sanchez was there and bristling about Tebow being there in camp. And it just never made sense to me that they brought him in. They dealt with the circus. And then when it came to fourth and one, they were like, well, we're going to let Sanchez drop back and throw it. It's like, <laughs> no, the reason you have Tebow there is so that he can get that fourth and one for you. Otherwise you don't need him there. And I think that's one of the things that, that hopefully we see going forward a little bit is if you're going to, if you're going to switch guys in and out, it should make a little bit more sense than just giving the guy the third drive and then yeah. you know, the third drive of the second half instead situationally. Right. If, if you can only teach him a few plays teach him the plays where it's useful for you to use, right? When you are coming against Georgia, coming off the bye week, you're going to have a package of plays. There are going to be times where you think you have the opportunity to take advantage of something. You know what he does well. Have him come in for that play, that situation, that particular instance rather than, um, you know, rather than saying, well, I'm going to give you a drive. And, and that's the same criticism I think people have had for Mullen, the way he's used yeah. his quarterbacks for an extended period of time, right? I mean, I think that LSU game a couple of years ago with Joe Burrow, there was a drive where Emory Jones came in and they gave it to him on the 20, and it was a three and out for Florida. They kicked it back to LSU. I think and Kyle Florida Trash was even was up by
1: pretty good at the time.
0: Well, I think Florida was even up by a touchdown at the time. And then Burns yeah. drove him right back down the field and and put him ahead. So um, you know, obviously the the putting a guy in for the entire drive is the way Mullen likes to do things, which is how you don't get get Anthony Richardson in there for first and goal from the five or whatever it was after that face mask. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think we'd all like to see a little bit more creativity in terms of bringing in a guy who's that explosive and has shown to be that explosive so far.
1: All right. we got some more offensive stuff to look at too. We'll get to the run game a little bit and the difference between the first two SEC games and the last two SEC games. But before we do, where you're betting at is just as important as who you're betting on. And that's why I always tell people to put your money down at my bookie. The Arizona Cardinals have come out to a hot start. The Chiefs have as many losses as they did last year. And with all the overs hitting in the dying seconds of games, there's never been a better time to get in on the action. Thankfully, my bookie's lock of the season has returned. If you're an NHL fan, you get Las Vegas, Seattle NHL opening night. And when either team scores in the game, you win. My Bookie is lowering the over under on the total goals scored in the Kraken versus Golden Knights opening day game to half goals. The moment either team lights the lamp, you win. Take the easy win, pat yourself on the back, and use your winnings towards your NFL picks for week six, which includes a battle between two potential Super Bowl contenders when the Cardinals meet the Browns. Don't miss out on the winning season. Head to My Bookie, use our promo code GATERS, and you'll get your first deposit doubled. That's promo code GATORS so you can double your funds to double your winnings. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Uh, I want to take a look at the run game a little bit today. Not necessarily to to praise it or slam it, but just kind of take a snapshot. First two SEC games, last two SEC games. I think we know there are different circumstances. Uh, the, The run game has had to deal with those first couple SEC games, a little bit more healthy up front. Uh, and you ran really well versus Bama and Tennessee. Not as well the last couple of games versus Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Um, but you know, just a quick snapshot here. I uh, didn't include the first couple of games, of course, just to do with SEC play. Um, Anthony Richardson didn't play versus um, Bama and Tennessee. There different things here. Just wanted to kind of look at SEC play uh, here when we look at this. So, Will, if you go back to Bama, Malik Davis, 10 carries, 86 yards, 8.6-yard 8. average. He had a 26-yard long run, one touchdown. Emory Jones, 19 carries versus Bama, 77 yards. He had 4.1. But then, as I said, you had Malik Davis with 8.6. You had another running back, Naquan Wright, seven carries, 8.3 yards a carry, 58 yards. Damien Pierce, seven carries, 24 yards, but he did have the two touchdowns. So in that game versus Bama, Florida, 43 carries. And, and I'm including Davis, Jones, Wright, and Pierce. That's kind of... I'm going to include those guys there in the first two. I'll throw Anthony Richardson in the, in the in the last two. But versus Bama, 43 carries, 245 yards, 5.7 yards a carry for Davis, Jones, Wright, and Pierce. Moved to Tennessee the next week. Emory Jones, 15 carries. He led the way versus Tennessee. He had 19 carries versus Alabama, 15 carries versus Tennessee, 144 yards on the ground for Emory Jones, 9.6-yard average, had a 49-yard run versus Tennessee as well. Damian Pierce, eight carries, 62 yards, 7.8 yards a carry versus Tennessee, 9.6 for Emory, 7.8 for Damian Pierce. Well, This is probably the most well-rounded one so far, Will, in the SEC. Malik Davis, 10 carries, 45 yards, 4.5 yards a carry. Naquan Wright, seven carries, 32 yards, 4.6 yards a carry. Gets Tennessee, the Gators, 40 carries, 283 yards, 7.1 yards a carry. So then it changes a little bit. You had those two successful games at the beginning of the SEC. Kentucky, Emory Jones lead the, leads the way again, second like straight week. Tennessee, Kentucky leads carries here, 13 carries, 63 yards, 4.8 yards. Damian Pierce, eight carries, 54 yards, 6.8. We did want him to get more carries versus Kentucky, almost seven yards a carry for Damian Pierce. Nancy Richardson comes back. Add him to the mix. Five carries, 25 yards, five yards a carry versus Kentucky. Well, here's the difference. Malik Davis, eight carries, 22 yards, 2.8 yards a carry. Naquan Wright, five carries, seven yards, 1.4 yards a carry. Only one running back, really, with some success versus Kentucky. And then this last week versus Vanderbilt. Judge this how you want to. I think Florida was trying to work on some things here. But Naquan Wright leads the way this time. Seven carries, 46 yards. yards a carry. Emory Jones, 5 yards a carry versus Vanderbilt, 40 yards, 8 yards a carry there for Emory Jones. Damian Pierce, 7 carries, only 12 yards, 1.7 yards. Anthony Richardson, 5 carries, 11 yards. So back to Kentucky, 39 carries, only 4.4 yards for that rushing game there after averaging the first two SEC games 5.7 5.7 versus Bama, 7.1 versus Tennessee. It goes all the way down to 4.4 versus Kentucky. And then against Vanderbilt, 4.5 when you only include right Jones, Pearson, Richardson. I took out Bowman, took out Lingard. Just kind of looking at the starters here, what the starters did uh, in their SEC game. So, of course, Will, Kentucky does a good job limiting the run game. That has looked different from the first two weeks in these last two weeks. Um, Emory Had a slightly higher yards per carry versus Kentucky than Bama, but that was more about the running back series. Pierce was hot, didn't get the carries versus Kentucky. Other backs didn't contribute much in the rushing attack versus Kentucky and Vanderbilt, but Vanderbilt a little bit different, I think, as I said. Passing game, it was a focus. You could tell. You had no Malik Davis, plus later in the game, Lingard and Bowman get the carries. So not a whole lot of snaps there for those guys, but you still didn't get much consistency. and I think that's what we're seeing up front for this run attack and these, these run backs outside the, outside the big run from Ryder versus Vanderbilt, not much there either. He had 12, 12 more yards on six other carries uh, besides that big run he had versus Vanderbilt. So Emory, Emory, of course, obviously wasn't going to run much versus Vanderbilt either. So that game more about the game plan. Also, let's not forget the injuries up front. Richard garage did not start. Kingsley went down during the game. Um, but something I wanted to, to look at, you had the two games without Anthony Richardson and the two games with Anthony Richardson expected maybe a jump there in production from the run game even or an even bigger jump, even after the success of Alabama and uh, Tennessee. But the the, bring, the bigger numbers didn't necessarily come in the run game. He did average five yards a carry versus Kentucky on five carries, but only 11 yards on five carries versus Vanderbilt. That we also, what one thing I noticed this is just something I I didn't know what I was going to get when I looked at comparing the first two games, first two SEC games, and these last two SEC games. But I think the biggest thing that I I took away was the number of backs that have success in the run game. And kind of surprised there uh, Malik Davis, uh, as I said, 8.6 yards a carry versus Bama on 10 carries. But then you had Wright with 8.3 yards of carry on seven carries. Damian Pierce led the way versus Tennessee for the running backs with 7.8 yards of carry. Davis, 4.5 on 10 carries. Wright, 4.6 on seven carries. So you had multiple backs bringing, bringing the yardage versus Alabama and Tennessee. You didn't get that versus Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Pierce had his yards versus Kentucky, 6.8 yards of carry for eight carries. Davis only 2.8. Wright only 1.4. Uh versus vandy right has seven carries 6.6 yard average pierce only 1.7 on seven carries with no malik davis versus the commodore so i think you take a look at that will and you know pierce's numbers were a little taken aback because he's getting goal line carries so, so his average is going to go a little bit down uh there versus vanderbilt but i think the biggest thing i took away was when it was when the run game was working and i'm sitting there spouting the yards per carries it was more than one running back being able to hit the yards but versus Kentucky and Vanderbilt it's been limited to pretty much one running back
0: yeah I mean look I mean they, they like rotating guys in I think sometimes that ends up being a good thing especially long term in an SEC schedule but I think short term you do sacrifice something when you take somebody out who's seeing it who's feeling strong and playing well on a particular day and you know, that's happened a few times where Pierce was the guy that you thought they should probably stick with, but they brought in Malik Davis, or Malik Davis was the guy you thought they should have brought it, should have kept out there, but they bring in Naquan Wright. I think when you look at the overall statistics for those guys, you know, 5.7 for Malik Davis, 5.8 for Damian Pierce, 5.1 for Naquan Wright. I think that's real. I think Naquan Wright, when he doesn't get ahead of steam, he, he's unbelievable when you get him in the open field, but behind an offensive line that isn't necessarily opening up holes. Um, he's somebody who can get dropped for one yard gain or a loss. He's not necessarily going to break through Damian Pierce, I think is a little bit different. And so if the offensive line is struggling, I think Pierce gives you an advantage. If the yep. offensive line is playing well, then I think right gives you an advantage. And if the offensive line is sort of hit or miss, then I think Davis gives you the advantage because he's strong enough to make, maybe break through every once in a while, if the defensive line gets through, but also shifty enough to make moves in the open field. And so they've got different skill sets for those guys, and I think maybe you could criticize them a little bit for not going with Pierce when the offensive line struggling or something like that. But the reality is if the offensive line struggles, the running backs are going to struggle. And the big thing I think for the last couple of games, and we can look at yards per carry for these guys and all that sort of stuff. But there are two things that I would look at. One is, The only guy who's been out there consistently on the offensive line who hasn't been dinged up in some capacity, I think, is Ethan White. So Garage has been banged up. Egwiken has been banged up. Stuart Reese has been banged up. DeLance has been banged up. And so even if they're out there, Those guys are nursing injuries that we probably in some cases don't even know about, but are going to hinder your explosiveness, your ability to get off the ball. It's one of the reasons why the bye week for Florida is going to be so important before the Georgia game, because everybody's going to be able to get healthy and be fully fresh. And considering that Florida wants to be the physical team in that game and wants to beat them up front, that's going to be important that everybody on the offensive line has had an opportunity to get healthy. The other thing is, is if you look at the run, so I put something in my article last week, but so they had 17 quarterback runs against FAU averaged 13.8 yards per rush, 17 quarterback runs against USF averaged 11 and a half yards per rush, 19 against Alabama averaged 4.1 yards per rush. So a significant decrease Tennessee, 15 quarterback runs, 9.6 yards per rush, Kentucky, 18 quarterback runs, 4.9 yards per rush. So again, down by where Alabama was. And then against Vanderbilt, um emory jones averaged eight yards per rush and then anthony richardson averaged 2.2 but a bunch of those carries came in sort of garbage time when when they weren't really trying to push that hard and had a bunch of backup offensive linemen and so if you just look at emory jones stats because he was in there for the majority of the time they had eight yards per rush so i actually think the big thing is is as the quarterback run game goes so goes the florida offense and you can see that in the first couple of games you can even see it against alabama that the big runs that Emory Jones had came in that third and fourth quarter when Florida was able to drive the ball down the field against Tennessee. He had some big runs that really sort of opened things up. He ran for like 140 yards in that game against Kentucky. There just wasn't anything open pretty much the entire game. I think his longest run of the game was like 15 or 16 yards. And for the most part, again, he's only averaging four yards a rush there during in, in that or five yards a rush in that Kentucky game. So That to me, I think is the thing to look for is that the running quarterback enables the offensive line to, um, it enables the offensive line to sort of relax, right? There are guys you don't have to pick up. It allows you to be more physical. You know that you, know, you don't know which direction the run's going to be going and so it sort of keeps you on your toes, but also it makes the defense sort of go back on their heels. And the minute that Kentucky started to get some penetration, it really sort of slowed that down. Same thing with Alabama when they started to get some penetration. And even against Vanderbilt, there were times where Vanderbilt was able to get penetration or at least hold the line. And then the other thing is I think in the Vanderbilt game that Florida was willing to not run Emory Jones as much in that Mm-hmm. Um, just because you don't want to get him dinged up. Now, this week against LSU, I think you're going to see him back in that 15, 16, 17 per game quarterback run, and the question is going to be, do they average four yards to carry or do they average 12 yards to carry, and and maybe somewhere in between there. But you know that's going to tell you something about the explosiveness of the Florida offense is, is how much yardage they're getting from the quarterback, and I think oftentimes that opens up the opportunities for the running backs to hit some big ones coming out of the backfield.
1: Well, I want to go to a point there. You know, you mentioned Florida at Kentucky, the struggles there. And you mentioned the game this week, Florida and LSU. You know, part of it was the communication up front, too. I think Florida was a little slow also firing off the ball versus Kentucky because of all the communication issues they had. Well, we know they cannot have those same issues again uh, this week versus LSU. You get the break of the noon LSU crowd and not a – Three thirty, or even the, the 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 hellish night game crowd that it can be there in Baton Rouge. So you get you can do catch that break there, but still, this is a what ninety five thousand seat stadium. I think even at noon, it won't be full, but can still be louder than what you faced at Kentucky just a couple weeks ago. So Dan Mullen did say they worked on it. They've got it figured out. They have of their cadence and their the, the the clapping and whatever they have to do. If they have to change some things, they will be prepared for that environment of LSU. But that is something that you have to bring up because it did affect the offensive line at Kentucky. It affected the run game because of uh, the could not fire the ball, lack of communication, just no confidence in being able to, to, to get off the ball there on the offensive line. So now another road game comes up. You know, we'd like to see, as you said, Emory Jones get more involved in the run game. But it also, to me, it starts up front just a little bit as well, and you cannot have that performance you had a couple weeks ago against Kentucky. Look, And it takes some pressure off the passing game. I think if, you know, we're going to see Emory Jones take, take a lot of those shots that we saw uh, versus Vanderbilt. Play action was involved in a lot of that. That's going to work even better against better teams. If the run game's working, that starts up front as well. So, of course, it's a chain reaction. I think we'll want to see a lot of play action there as the competition ramps up uh, for Emory Jones and this passing attack for the getter offense. But, uh, Will, as you said, it kind of goes to our – you, you started it. I was going to go what what up there as well with the injuries. Richard Garage, of course, being out this past week, that had an effect. Uh, this offensive line, been battling injuries pretty much all year long, uh, and then it extended to Malik Davis this past game as well. Dan Mullen did say you get those guys back on offense this week, Malik Davis and Richard Garage. Those guys will be back. He didn't did not mention any new injuries there. So I know Kingsley went down uh, as uh, against Vanderbilt. Uh, Mullen did not bring him up today in the press conference. Hopefully he's okay, uh, ready to go. The big one, Elam, back on defense sounds he's pretty. Pretty good to go there. You can go back and listen to the Vanderbilt review for the prognosis there. But emergency use only versus Vanderbilt is what Dan Mullen said. He didn't feel comfortable, so he held him out one more time. Uh, Didn't mention and shed some light on Brenton Cox, Will. I don't know if you caught this Uh, in the press conference. Dan Mullen did say uh, he was injured last week in practice. He played anyway, played the first half. Fardy gets up, no use to play him in the second half. Save him. Don't need to play the second half. We're going to win this game anyway. So since Fartle was up big versus Vanderbilt, decided to save him uh, as well. So looks like, Will. as far as, you know, there's going to be the normal bumps and bruises, Richard Garage and those guys up front, probably still nursing some injuries, but it looks like you may have your starting five offensive line back. Malik Davis will be back in the run game as well. And the big one, Kyrie Lam back with the improved play of one. Jason Marshall probably on the opposite side of him now.
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting. I I actually thought the guys who played the best in the in the game against Vanderbilt were the safeties. I thought Trey Dean played well. I thought. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, uh, Rashad Torrance played really well as well, um, and you know, obviously the tackles were were pretty significant there for Torrance. I think he had 15 tackles in the game, yeah. but, well, but I think
1: he had 13 at halftime. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I,
0: and and that's indicative of where I think they're kind of weak, which is the linebacker position. I thought that the linebackers yep. were they're not even trying to guard receivers and running backs out of the flat with their linebackers. They're just making that a responsibility to either the star or the safety. And so Torrance was having to go make those tackles. And oftentimes those tackles came, you know, five, six, seven yards down the field. Now to his credit, he made the tackles. Right. And so that was one of the problems, I think, in the Alabama game is that those guys, both uh, Travez Johnson and, and Torrance, were struggling to make those tackles. And some other guys as well were struggling to make those tackles. Dean was really good in coverage. He had two pass. He had two pass breakups. Mm-hmm. He had the interception. I, 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 I haven't think seen the
1: GB be that aggressive forever in forever in a game with, with like with multiple occasions in, in the same game.
0: Now, again, we're talking about Vanderbilt and Ken Seals is right. pretty, pretty, pretty bad. At the same time, we haven't seen a Florida DB be that right. aggressive <laughs> in, in like two years. Yeah. And, and so having those guys out there, and I think sort of finding the guy who's going to be your physical enforcer at safety and the guy who's going to be your pass defender at safety might be important for them as well because you'll have the ability to do that. Like you mentioned, Jason Marshall's getting better. The pass interference penalties are starting to sort of wane a little bit. He's not grabbing as much. He's, I think, more confident in what he's doing. And with Kyrie Elam back, now you're going to have, you should have lockdown on the outside. And then you've got safeties that you can trust. And I do wonder does that start to free up some things where Florida, I know you mentioned it at the end of the game, they had three linebackers in rather than, or even really four linebackers in when you count the buck. Um, yeah. in a true 3-4. They haven't done that pretty much all year. It's almost always been exclusively some sort of dime or nickel. because weird. They-
1: well, uh, And it was something I brought up last week, and we actually got it. We had Jeremiah Moon, Mahmoud Diabate, and Tyron Hopper on the field at the same time.
0: Well, I tell you, Hopper's fast enough to go out and, and and cover backs in the flat and and do those sorts of things. Now, obviously, he has to know his assignment, right. um, but but he he is fast enough to get out there and do that. He's a guy who probably has the skills to be a true three-down linebacker, and Florida hasn't had one of those guys in a really long time there in the middle. I mean, Jeremiah Moon has done an admirable, admirable job against the run, especially, and he's, mm-hmm. he's important to the way that defense functions, but at the end of the day, you're not going to mistake him for a guy who you want in pass coverage, what they Ending up doing is they're ending up dropping him almost like a defensive lineman in a zone blitz, and then they're asking the safeties to cover the flats and cover the outside, which you can do, but then limits what you can do overall. I think Diabate and Hopper out there, in fact, if you're going to go nickel or dime, I wonder whether Diabate and Hopper are going to start to be the two guys who see the max amount of time, and Moon's the guy that they run off the field in those situations where they think the opposition's going to throw. Um, and again, with the fact that your safeties are playing better, you've now got Marshall playing better, you've got Elam coming back, does the defense have an opportunity to improve? I looked today, I was really surprised. They looked 34th in the country now overall in yards per pass attempt. Right. They were down they were down like 80th after the Alabama game and they've sort of slowly made their way up. Now granted they've played Tennessee who's been explosive since they played Florida but wasn't great obviously missed a bunch of big plays there against the Gators. Then they played Kentucky who is you're not going to you're you're not going to uh, mistake Will Levis 2019 did look, LSU. And
1: Will Levis did look better versus LSU this week, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, but he also better? looked
0: awful against Chattanooga. So, you <laughs> yeah. know, again, I, I don't think you're going to mistake the, him for Joe Burrow. Um, and and then obviously yeah, they Penn State really might
1: Penn be State undefeated State. if they had Will Levis as their uh, backup quarterback this past week
0: maybe so but again you get my point right that they, uh, they yeah, have yeah, feasted yeah. on the people that they should feast on yep but they've feasted on the people that they should feast on and last year when we played teams that the defensive yep. backs should have gotten healthy should have played well against the defensive backs did not play well and did not get healthy against those guys they they wound up giving up yards to just about everybody that they played. And and so I do think there's some more trust developing in the backside of the defense. I think there's going to be more trust with Elam coming back, and I'm really interested to see what they do with the linebacker position because with Cox in there, with Carter in there, they've got guys who – Um, have the ability to get pressure with the front four and if they can do i think the trust that they're starting to build at the safety position is going to sort of cascade its way down to where they don't feel like they have to blitz to get pressure on third downs which is great because every time they blitz the other day against (laughs) vanderbilt vanderbilt just threw hot and and was able to kill it so you're you can't blitz when you're playing off the way they're playing off and i think there are some um some schematic things that they're going to be able to change because of the safeties playing the way they're playing. So I was really impressed with the safety play.
1: Yeah, me too, me too. Best we've seen uh, in quite some time for the Gators there, no matter the opponent. All right, we'll uh, quickly, Elijah Blades dismissed from the team. Dan Mullen said that we got the news yesterday on Twitter. uh, And, of course, uh, Mullen confirmed it today. Uh, Mullins said he dismissed him from the team. They had a meeting on Sunday. Elijah Blades no longer part of the program. Know a lot of people wondered why he was taken uh, be- to begin with. Of course, Florida was fighting with some depth issues up front or uh, on the back side uh, in the secondary, especially with Kimbrough transferred away. Jaden Hill uh, gets hurt. The, the Blades thing had kind of already started, but still not necessarily till after the, the, the transfer had happened and a little bit before Jaden Hill. That's when the talk was happen. Of course, he was a late arrival to fall camp. Um, not really contributed so much. I mean, he was in key moments versus a Kentucky game last week, had the penalty uh, as well. So he was in the game, you know, in a key game, in key moment there, uh, messing up things for Florida last week. Um, I don't know if it's anything, I, I don't know any more than it's already out there. Of course, we know the history of Blades kind of bouncing around different programs, ends up at Florida. Uh, you no, know, of course. It'd be overblown if we could sit here and say it's a huge loss. To be the only way it's a loss now is if some more injuries happen on the back end. If Caiualem continues to miss, uh, you know, to, to miss some games, if Helm or Marshall end up getting injured, you probably would have thrown Blades out there to take over for one of those guys. So that's pretty much it. It, it pretty much puts out there that the secondary, especially at cornerback. Has to stay a little healthy now. And Perkins was talking to the uh, media this uh, this evening. They could probably play some corner now. Florida needing to Travis Johnson as well. You can shift some pieces around. Something not necessarily you don't want to have to do. So hopefully, uh, Elam Marshall, him, those guys stay healthy, and you can keep them. You can keep other guys as backups there if needed, and also play them uh, at the star position if need to as well. You don't want to have to be shuffling pieces this late into the season. I don't think will. So that that's pretty much the only um only hit i think that back there in the secondary is if if florida does get hit with some more injuries
0: yeah though you wonder whether some of the younger guys maybe pass blades on the depth chart based on yeah. some of the you know you mentioned the penalty and obviously um he's been out there a little bit but florida seeing what he can do and you know brought him in late and if he's not really building trust with his teammates then that's something you know we've we just talked about safeties and having to trust those guys and how that cascades down. And that's a big part of it. And, you know, I, Hey, we wish him well, right. Go someplace and, and find yourself some playing and time. And hopefully this is just a, a disagreement amongst management and the player. And, you know, the player decides to go someplace else as opposed to something that's more serious, that's causing a dismissal that we'll hear about, <laughs> that'll leak out over time. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I wish him well, hope he does a great job. And, uh, you know, in the meantime um, I think, you know, yes immediately this is not an enormous loss it becomes an enormous loss as you start to get injuries and 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 problems like that but again i think there are guys like you know ethan pouncey can probably come in and play yeah. if you need to as opposed to blades i don't know that you're there's nothing that we saw from him while he was out there on the field that suggests that he's going to be a difference maker that he was just always a depth piece um and, and so if you've got young guys who are coming along, who you want to give time out there instead of the guy who just came into the program a few months ago, I think it makes sense that uh, for both sides to probably move on.
1: All right. Well, one more thing, man, before we let you go, what will we learn versus, versus LSU? Do uh, you know, style points matter? Uh, you got LSU dealing with some injuries. Uh, look, of course, go win the game uh, right now. Like you Just go get the W, but do style points matter for a lot of the fan base out there. After the Kentucky game a couple weeks ago, uh, Vanderbilt didn't do much to excite anybody. And look at what LSU is dealing with right now. Cornerback Derek Stingley was announced last week that he's likely done for the season. Safety major Burns missed last week. He's going to miss this week too versus Florida. And now wide receiver Keyshawn Boutte for LSU out. Their best pass catcher, their best defender, Defensive end, Ollie Gay, will miss the game versus the Gators this week, too. Both of those guys suffered injuries versus Kentucky, Boutte and Gay did. So, well, I mean, the storyline, very similar to last year. LSU's missing some pieces. They're going to play Florida. And Max Johnson went into the swamp and, and, and beat the Gators. So here we go. One more time, a year later, LSU dealing with some guys not playing. Uh, questions about Edo uh, or even – more raised right now, of course, last year off the hills of a national championship, but now LSU continuing the trend of not playing well under Ed Orgeron. Dan Mullen, as I said, kind of going back to a previous point, there's a plan for the cadence this week on the road, Mullen says. He's tons of options. He won't get into the specifics of it publicly but there are some options and some changes. Quote, a lot of variations is what Dan Mullen said. So there we go. There's a storyline. But what, what can we learn versus LSU and do style points matter?
0: Um, I think the fan style points probably matter. It gets the noise down. It gets people hopeful that they can pull off an upset when they face Georgia in a couple of weeks afterwards. Um, But you're right. It's the same storyline as last year from an LSU perspective, except the games in Baton Rouge and Florida isn't anywhere near as good as they were last year. I mean, last year Florida went in with a legitimate chance to make the playoff. If they just pulled that one out, Um, granted you had to have like, what was it? Valentino today said it was like the, like a scene from a Michael Jackson thriller video out there During (laughs) the during the Super Bowl last year, where you couldn't see anything from the from the press box, and I'm sitting there struggling to see it on TV. So there were some special
1: one part where I'm really glad they have TVs in the press box because that was about the only way I was seeing anything.
0: (laughs) So there, I mean, there were extenuating circumstances, but at the same time, the reason LSU was in that game last year is because Florida turned the ball over, and because Florida decided to blitz incoherently and leave guys wide open streaking down the field. I don't think they'll do the second part. I think they're better on the back end. I think they're more disciplined on the back end. I don't think anybody will throw a shoe this year, so I think we could probably think that that's not going to happen. Now, at the same time, I think LSU's wounded. I think those guys, I think they believe in Orgeron, whether or not other people do or not. I think they're going to fight for their coach because they want him to stay. Um, And then the other thing that I think you need to consider is just that Florida is such an imperfect team that, you know, look at it they've turned the ball over extensively in every game they've had this year at least one turnover most of the time too if you turn the ball over twice and lsu doesn't turn it over at all i'm not sure florida's good enough to overcome a two nothing turnover deficit assuming that lsu comes out and plays hard so um you know if lsu just sort of you know gets down it, it, you have an opportunity if you jump out 14 nothing i think lsu will fold yep Right. But if you let them sit there and linger and it's, you know, 10 to 7 LSU at halftime, I think they're going to get excited. I think their fans are going to get excited. And I think you're going to have a real dogfight on your hands. And this game is almost always within three points. So the fact that I think what Florida's favored by 10 or something like that, I think, you know, if I'm if I'm looking at it, I'm going, like I don't know. A team that turns the ball over a ton with a lot of inconsistency at quarterback. Injuries on the offensive line, going on the road, and 11 a.m. start there out in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Orgeron fighting for his job, like all those things. There's a there's a scenario where Florida doesn't come out of this with a win, and I think it's a reasonable thing to say that Florida maybe doesn't come out of it with a win. But obviously, I think we expect Florida to win, and that should be the expectation. Florida is the better team, but I would have said that last year too. And so, uh, I think just getting out with a win. Is is the important part, and that's really sort of the story for the rest of the year. Just get out with a win. There have been a lot of one score losses this year and last year for Florida, where clock management, timeout management, fourth down decisions, all that sort of stuff has been uh, questionable. When it comes to Dan Mullen, you know, make the right decisions, put your team in a success, put your team it, to in a place to be successful. Go for fourth downs early, put your foot on the throat of LSU, and maybe you walk out of there with a forty point win. But you know, I, I think if you were to look at the history of this rivalry, if you were to look at sort of what happens when these two teams face each other, it's almost always coming down mm-hmm. to the wire. I think that should probably be the expectation. And then if Florida happens to win by two or three touchdowns, then we're just pleasantly surprised.
1: All right, good stuff, Will, and that will do it for this episode. What you got, uh, if you, guys? If you haven't done so yet, yeah, I know we'll mention it just a little bit. What do you? wrote and read and reaction, of course, the uh, Emory Jones, Kyle Trask, uh, early, early start comparison uh, for both those quarterbacks. But what you got coming up this week, Will? Oh, so we'll obviously have an LSU preview.
0: I'm actually writing something. I saw something on ESPN today where they were still – they had a couple of writers still listing Bryce Young as a favorite for the Heisman Trophy. So Mm. I have to to write something to refute that because it's ridiculous that you would have him as the leader for the Heisman Trophy after that loss against Texas A&M. And then I didn't didn't get a chance to push it last week, but you can see it on the video. I have a book out on Amazon. It's called 1,980 Reasons to Root for the Georgia Bulldogs – and uh, every page inside is blank. So it's a great gag gift for any of your friends who are from Georgia, who go to Georgia. If you're going to the cocktail party, go pick it up. You can get it on Amazon. Just search 1980 Reasons um, under the book section of Amazon. You'll find it right away. Um, I'm the author on that one. And, uh, you know, it's if you want to pick fun at your Georgia, Georgia friends, you might not have too much longer to do it. So make sure you do it now while you still can. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, you can send them another copy if, uh, if, if Georgia happens to trip up along the way this year.
1: Yeah. Um we don't get into much NFL news here, Will, but if you're watching live on YouTube and missing it, John Gruden is out in Oakland or Las Vegas. So I mean, even more stuff is coming out about that situation there. So you yeah, know, everybody go 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 read that. Don't want to really want to uh, I haven't got a chance to read it. I just know more came out. So that, that, that and the AP source has, has has cited he is out. So
0: the le- the lesson as always is don't text and don't email. Call someone. <laughs> If you, want to, if you want to say something that's really, really bad, make sure you call them because it will. Will, don't share come the DM
1: out. between me and you. Do not share that DM.
0: Eh, you know, <laughs> I got some leverage over you there, buddy.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Some fun head there. All right. That is Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com on YouTube at readreaction and his Twitter handle at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gator's Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gator's Breakdown.